Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of En Route Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom. Good evening, everybody. Uh, I just want to take the time to wish everybody a Thanksgiving that's going to be uh, blessed and happy, and uh, I hope as we approach the season of Advent that this is going to be a holy one for you as we wait uh, with great expectation. That's what Advent's about, of the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So we started last week. We'll get right into it. I said I was going to do a few shows here on spiritual warfare and how we can better arm ourselves because uh, to just uh, go back a little bit to last week's show, um, and before that, I should say that if you want to, uh, since the show is live, if you want to call and ask any questions or have a comment, the number here is 515-604-9344. It will prompt you to an access code of 914-121-POUND, and that will get you on the show. So, again, that number is 515-604-9344, the access code 914 914- one to one pound. Okay, so going back to last week's show, we talked about the beginning of spiritual warfare, what we're up against, the fight we're in, the battle we're in. Um, we identified Satan, what happened with St. Michael, how this came to be, the demons, and we talked about obsession and demonic possession. We talked a little about deliverance prayer. So we set the stage because we Part one, have to know our enemy, and that, of course, is Satan and his demons. So we know that uh, knowing this battle that we have uh, is for souls. So therefore, it's quite frightening in a way because we're up against a horrific enemy that wants the destruction of our souls where we will spend eternity, hopefully in heaven and hell, and the devil wants us with him in pure hatred and evil and hell for an eternity. eternity. So he's the prince of horror, with powers, of course, far beyond human beings. And how can we possibly defeat the ancient one, the devil, when his powers are so much greater than ours? Well... I'd like to read from the book of Revelation right now, in chapter 19, verses 11 to 14 and 16. And I saw heaven standing open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and wages war. And his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, And he is clothed in a garment sprinkled with blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And he has on his garment and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, in this battle then, we get to know our commander and our comrade, and the good news of this gospel is that our Lord, by his passion, death, and resurrection, has already defeated the devil. We talked about that a little bit last week. Now, Christ came for our salvation, 
so that through death he might destroy him who had the empire who had the empire of death that is the devil that's from hebrews now when we belong to christ in baptism and we and we're quoting the book of john here when we believe or not quoting excuse me i'm using the book of john when we belong to him through baptism and remain jesus's friend and through the end of a, a life of our cooperation with his grace because grace is a gift and no matter how bad the battle rages against us the outcome is assured because jesus said i give them everlasting life and they shall never perish and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand and that's from john chapter 10. so these are stirring words by john because it's the christians that are in battle and we triumph over the enemies these that would take our soul so we've got to remember that Jesus' triumph is ours. So then our commander, our commander-in-chief, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the conqueror of hell and death. And he calls us to battle alongside him against the enemy so that we can have a share in his victory. You know, a couple shows, uh, I've alluded to the fact that if you're familiar with the legend of Robin Hood, and I would guess most of us are, he was an outlaw that fought against the tyranny of the evil Prince John and the evil Sheriff of Nottingham. And he waged this good war despite enormous odds and all the power being on the other side because he was waiting for the return of King Richard. And in a way that's kind of our story that we're waging this war against the tyranny the prince of darkness the one who jesus called the father of lies and the murderer from the beginning and what are we waiting we are waiting the return of our king the lord jesus christ so we have this share in his victory then we have to fight the good fight as saint paul speaks of and to do that, as I said on last week's show, we must know our uh, enemies. But with that being said, we almost also must know the comrades that Jesus has given to us as our fellow warriors. Now, the book of Revelation describes Christ's final return to earth in glory as not a babe and one born meek, needing the care of the Blessed Virgin St. Joseph in the manger, but as a warrior this time, leading a charge in battle against Satan and his allies with the armies of heaven accompanying him. That's the passage we, we just read. Now, St. Paul, and we've done some shows on him, in his epistles to the uh, Thessalonians, he specifies who is in those armies, right? When Christ comes in his final glorious triumph, he will come with all the saints and with the angel of his power in flaming fire. And so we see then that he comes with all his saints and the angels. So that means for you and I right now, the saints and angels are our comrades in battle. Now, when Satan first tempted Adam and Eve, 
God's words of judgment on them contain the first glimpse of his plan to redeem their descendants from the horrors to come. And we've certainly seen that as the children of Adam and Eve. The Lord said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now that's from Genesis, very famous, right? Genesis 3.15. Now, the woman's seed or descendant was, of course, Jesus, who on the cross was bruised by the devil, but who then bruised the head of the devil, right? Because he conquered him by what? His resurrection. So just as ease, yes, to the enemy's temptation brought death and Satan's dominion and domination into the world, Mary's yes, the Blessed Virgin Mary's yes, to God, open the door for the ultimate victory over, of a son over Satan. So from ancient times then, Christians have seen Mary as a new Eve because by her obedience to God, she undid what Eve did by her disobedience. So both we see the comparison where Jesus and Mary are obedient and bring this grace and bring salvation into the world to defeat Adam and Eve's disobedience to God. Now, you know, um, some of the early passages, too, uh, in the manuscripts, say that she so crushed, the serpent said. So we can see, and I was just reading, oh, I don't know, maybe a few months ago, well, one of the earliest uh, pieces of artwork that they found, I think, on a wall or something in the early Christian first, uh, might have been in the third century, was a fresco or something of Mary. And so we see this veneration quite early of the Blessed Virgin in the church's history. So, you know, I, I know people of other faiths uh, don't put a lot of emphasis on Mary. A little, uh, you know, sometimes they criticize Catholics that we worship her. We certainly don't worship her, but we venerate her. And that veneration is well-earned and should be uh, for us a source of great veneration as Catholic Christians. For her, yes, and as what we just said, that's between uh, that yes to the angel, Archangel Gabriel's message for the, from the Father, that she was able to offset what Adam and Eve did. So, in a way, those earlier manuscripts, as we just mentioned, you can see how they say that Mary crushes the serpent's head. So, you know, and again, Mary has long been hailed in literature, music, and art as the one, and you can see some of the statues and the paintings of the one who crushes the serpent beneath her heel. And that is why, and this is important, when the devil and his demons assault us and the attacks on us seem to multiply, we should use and call on that grace given by God to Mary, not just as our blessed mother, but as a mighty warrior before whom the demons tremble. You know, St. Bonaventure once said, men do not fear a powerful, hostile army as much as the powers of hell fear the name and protection of Mary. You know, one short, short, excuse me, short prayer that's very powerful is Mary, Mother Mary, take over. And that said, just, just like that, Mother Mary, take over, can do volumes. It's the same, you know, we, we see these short prayers of ejaculation 
that are so powerful and, and often we don't use them because we, you know, and I'm guilty of this also, you know, the more we, we put into words, the more pray, the more voluminous they are, we, we seem to think they'll be more effective. But just short prayers like that, certainly we know that just the name of Jesus, just Jesus is a powerful, powerful prayer in itself. So that's a simple prayer you can do um, during times of uh, trouble is Mother Mary take over. So, you know, we have, we talked about on a different show, the communion of saints and how we are all tied together with those saints that have won and fought the good fight and are now in heaven, that they can see intercede for us. And we can use not only their prayers, but their examples of when they walked this earth and how they conquered the devil through faith and prayer and certainly personal holiness. You know, we mentioned that some of the saints um, last week actually fought the devil, such as uh, St. Padre Pio, St. John Vianney, um, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, St. Anthony of the Desert, St. Gemma Galgani, and numerous others. They survived these physical assaults from evil spirits, and ultimately they won against these adversaries. So we see then that the saints know what it means to fight and know what it means to win. So we can rely on their intercession and other assistance in fighting the enemy. And this is important for us to realize because these holy men and women that have gone before us are eager to assist us. And we can approach, approach them through prayer and through, like I had mentioned, studying and imitating their lives. And a powerful thing we have as Catholics are the relics, which are, uh, say, like a first-class relic, which is a, a body part of one of the saints that's preserved. Uh, I myself have uh, touched the rosary to the reliquary uh, when they had a special ceremony up here in uh, New England, and it was uh, Saint Anthony's muscle that had not decayed. And I've got the third cap, third-class relic of St. Kateri Tekawitha, and that's where a piece of cloth or something is touched to a first-class relic, so it becomes a third-class relic. So these relics are very important uh, for our, again, not worship, but veneration. And the devil finds these relics repugnant because they remind him of these great saints that defeated him. So, you know, we see this and we should take and use our comrades, uh, the saints and these relics, to help us in our battle. And again, we mentioned, uh, we'll talk about this in a little bit about the sacramentals, but, you know, you look at and see in the rite of exorcism that the litany of the saints, and you see this in, in Easter time, that it is uh, said, it's a very powerful prayer of the litanies. Now, we talked last week quite a bit about the angels and the fallen angels, which were Satan and his uh, demons. And they're best known in scriptures uh, for, by most people as messengers. And that's what angel means. So we see that, you know, Gabriel announced that uh, message to the Blessed Virgin Mary, that she would have the father's son. And we see the angels that they, again, gave the message to the shepherds um, that the birth of Jesus had occurred 
And we see the angels uh, tell Joseph in a dream, St. Joseph, to take Mary and Jesus to safety in Egypt when Herod was looking to kill him. So even that, though, as messengers, Scripture still reveals something else, that they are spiritual guardians and warriors. We see in, in the psalm, in Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. For he will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. And again, we see in the New Testament, Jesus affirms the teaching about angels that guard us. Because he's, when he talks of the children in Matthew, he refers to their angels. So in the New Testament, we, we see this. Again, not just messengers, but warriors. And, you know, from it's a beauty part. One of the parts of the of beauty of our Catholic Church is that we look at sacred scripture, sacred tradition, on an even basis. And they are both critical to our faith and our fight here in, in this war that we're in, in the spiritual warfare. And uh, tradition, for example, with these biblical passages that I mentioned, you know, Christians long ago concluded that each individual human has his or her own particular garden angel. Now, the Catholic Church has never um, defined the teaching about the individual guardians, but the Catechism of the Church sums it up this way, and this is from St. Basil. From infancy to death, human life is surrounded by the angels' watchful care and intercession. Besides each believer stands an angel as protector and shepherd leading him to life. Now, again, that's from St. Basil. So you see our tradition has these things growing. As the church fathers, we, we look and we, we, the sacred tradition ties this all into scripture and uh, uh, as a biblical base where this tradition, ex, ex, you know, we, we look and we see how we've got uh, an expanded view of events that take place in our Christian history since the time of Christ. And this is so important in the life of the church, so very important. So, you know, we can turn to our guardian angels to help in the spiritual warfare. Now, I had mentioned, you know, that it's kind of a controversial thing. Maybe that's the wrong word to use about people seeking to name their guardian angels. And I had mentioned on the show, and you can check on the archives, that uh, that may not be such a great idea because we can be uh, deceived uh, by an evil spirit. So when you gave, I'll just sum this up quickly. When we name a person or a thing, that name is given so we can have power of control over it. And basically that's why we really don't want to try to search out a name for our guardian angel or name them. Um, because it was school of a thought says that, you know, now we have a power over them. And we certainly, we certainly don't want to play uh, that power game with the angels. Uh, they're above us and you know, they're, they're pure spirit. So we can trust them and we can pray to them and we can ask their intercession, but naming them, you know, we, we don't want to get into that ego trip of power. So I, I'd be careful with that. But um, again, we can use our guardian angels in the spiritual warfare 
to resist by our prayer and ask their intercession uh, to resist temptation of Satan. And again, now, they're more than guardians. They're also, as I mentioned, warriors. In the Old Testament, we find God's angels fighting for his people in Daniel's vision. And in the New Testament, St. John's vision in the book of Revelation tells us that the spiritual war resulted when Satan, we talked about this last week, and his allies rebelled against God. And the good angels fought these fallen angels and cast them out of heaven. So what we see in both the Old and New Testament description is only combat. And in this combat, one angel is singled out as the leader of the angelic host. And I'll bet you guys can guess who that is. You're right. It's St. Michael the Archangel. And Archangel means first or the principal angel. Now, in the book of Daniel, the angel Gabriel, the one that brought the message to Mary, calls Michael one of the chief princes of the angelic warriors. And Michael is also mentioned in the book of Jude as contending with the Jezebel. So, again, when we draw again on these biblical insights and we go to tradition, the Christian tradition has revered St. Michael and honored his role as a great spiritual warrior fighting for the church. So, from early times, Christians have asked the help of Michael in the heat of battle with Satan. And, you know, um, I've mentioned also that Pope Leo XIII uh, St. Michael prayer was composed because he had a vision in which he got pale and was sickened because he was able to see the destruction that was going to take place because the devil asked God in the vision if he could have one century to destroy the church. And the God told him, you, you can have the century, but you will not destroy the church. And many feel that that, of course, since Leo's vision uh was an 18, I don't know exactly, 18-something, uh, that the 20th century was that century. So Leo got to see all the horrors and composed the St. Michael prayer. And it is no joke that the, the diocese here uh, in Connecticut, in Hartford, is having the St. Michael prayer said after each Mass now that the bishop is required this. So I think that's an awesome thing. So we're, you know, maybe we're going backward to get stronger. And that's a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Now, so we've got the saints. We've got St. Michael, our guardian angels. And, of course, we have the Blessed uh, Virgin Mary. And, you know, we also have our brother and sister Christians. And this is important. You know, St. Paul in... Uh, talks about uh, his Christian brothers, his fellow uh, soldier. And so while we, might, we, you know, not, we cannot forget to focus on our heavenly warriors, but we don't want to forget our earthly comrades either because they need our support and we need their support. No question about that. So when we're in community praying, and this is why the church is so in, important, I just want to, uh, sidetrack a little here because there's a prevalence today uh, that people use that old cop-out uh, that I'm spiritual. I don't really need religion, organized religion, because I'm spiritual. It's just a uh, personal relationship I have with Christ. Well, that's fine. 
you do need a personal relationship with Christ. But Christ started the church because this is all about a family. So we need the community. Christ just didn't came. He came, yes, to save individuals from Satan, but also in a communal way, the entire church, which he is the head of. And we need that fellowship. Remember I had mentioned the important teachings of Jesus and many important um, points in Scripture. It's fellowship. They were eating a fellowship. And many things happen with that. So Christ, it's just not a personal relationship, but also in community. That's one of the reasons you need to go to Mass at least once a week on Sunday to acknowledge that we're sinners, to honor Jesus for his us to participate in his body, blood, soul, and divinity, and also to be uh, in fellowship with our uh, fellow uh, brothers and sisters. Because when we pray a community like this, we give each other a great deal of support, and we Because like anyone that's strong enough, you get tired, you get tempted, the devil's lies is act against. Uh, we talked about this last week. How he works through lies, accusations, doubts, enticements, provocation. To put in an analogy, and the color and then I have a time during on on one but when one breaks away from the herd and goes away separately it's easily picked off and that I'd like to use that analogy because that's what happens when we think we can just make it on our own that we don't need that community our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ we'll get picked off no matter how strong our faith no matter how good we are we will be isolated and our faith in the way Christ set it up is not meant to be one in isolation, but an organic living community comprised of clergy and laity. And we need each other. We need each other to accomplish this mission of the church. It's imperative. So if you're not going to church or not regularly, please start considering that, to go at least once a week every Sunday, to be not only refreshed by the Eucharist, and receive Jesus, but also by the encouragement and the support of your fellow brothers and sisters all trying to fight our way in battle. Now, uh, to give an example, right, uh, St. Paul had his, you know, he strengthened his friend St. Timothy. Uh, we see in First Timothy that he, Paul, uh, kept urging for Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, to become a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And Paul offered wise counsel to his fellow believers through his letters and his visits, and he taught them about the weapons and uh, armor spiritual warfare, which we're going to talk about very shortly. So we also need to know that when Paul compared the spiritual armor to the physical armor, these comparisons were based on his time in history. So they were, uh, these comparisons 
were the items that were used by the Roman soldiers of the time. So, you know, he spoke of defense covering for every part of the body except one, the back. Why would that be? This is interesting. Because Roman soldiers, they fought tightly, packed in, and they had their backs toward one another. That way, as they battled the enemy, they were protecting one another's back. You know, we like I got your back. So one man's sword was another seal. When they were fighting, they didn't have to be exposed to the mortal danger from behind. So why is this important? Because this is the same in spiritual warfare. Whenever one of our brothers attacks, it can make up the difference with our shield of faith. In essence, we have their back. And again, this is a important reason why Jesus established the church. He knew we would need this grace to conquer the enemy. So when we look at our worship, our sacrifice, we see this all in the church that she has and gives this all to us. Remember, the church is comprised, I just mentioned, of the cleric and laity. So we need the fellowship of fellow believers who do battle with us and for us. Okay. Let's talk about some of these weapons now. So we've got our allies. We've got our army. We know that our head is uh, Christ. He's the commander. That Mary and St. Michael and the saints are our brothers in arms. And our, here on earth, our fellow, our fellow brothers and sisters, this is a great army we have under the greatest commander ever. So we need to have weapons then to fight because in any type of fight, you have to have your weapons. Now, uh, you know, whether it's the uh, rifles and tanks and airplanes of modern uh, warfare or whether it was back in the days where they used swords and uh, maces and daggers, or even before then, when the martial arts developed, because everything that was taken away from the peasant, including his farm tool, they had to turn bodies into weapons. So whatever it is, we see we have to have weapons no matter what time uh, in history we live. Now, the spiritual ones are a little different than the ones I just talked about, obviously. Because St. Paul, you know, when he was taking care of these Christians that were under his care, they were in a warfare that raged all around them. And he specifically was talking about aids in this battle, the spiritual battle, that are not worldly, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That comes from the letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. So what are the weapons that God has given us to defeat the enemy? Well, First one, the powerful one, is the weapon of prayer. Now, m- many might be familiar in Ephesians with Paul's uh, specific pieces of armor and weapons that he quotes. But the indispensable one on this list that he talks about is prayer. Now, Paul says that he says, you know, all prayer and supplication. With this, pray 
at all times in the Spirit, and be vigilant in all perseverance and all supplication for all the saints. So we see that in Ephesians, Paul really stresses the need of that weapon of prayer. And you, we see that uh, in Scripture, that the fervent prayer of righteous belief has great power in its effects. And that is one of the reasons, you know, the apostles asked our Lord, how should we pray, right? We're all familiar with that. And how does Christ conclude that our Father, right? Deliver us from evil, which can also be translated, deliver us from the evil one, that is, from the devil. Now, we've seen the gospel accounts, and I want to mention that when we're talking, you know, to go to history, I, I think it's, it's a problem that in our contemporary world and contemporary history, and of course, we, I'm generalizing, I'm not talking about all historians, but there's a tendency for us to look down on previous cultures that have come and gone by. And this is a huge mistake. I just mentioned one of the reasons when I mentioned spiritual weapons, Paul using the time he lived so the people would understand about the weapons that the Romans used because that was what was relevant for them, just as it would be different for us today. So when we read about in Scripture miracles that Jesus performed, and whether you have theologians or scientists or other people, religious people, whatever, trying to downplay and say they were just myths and that and this, and that, well, you know, most of these demons that Jesus exercised were maybe they, had, they weren't aware of the medical or psychiatric conditions at that time, and, uh, you know, it was maybe epilepsy they were having fits, not really on the ground withering uh, in pain because of uh, a, a demon. And yet, I think to say that these peoples that would see people possessed by a devil and the different languages and the possible levitation, the eyes rolled back in the head, and this that presence of evil, I think they knew that it was a little different. We should give a little more credit than we do to that large what does that got to do with what I'm going to say? Because when we look and see, like, for an example, the Canaanite woman's daughter who was demon-possessed, what did she do to overcome the assault? When we talked about the differences of possession is last week, she went, that woman, to the Lord and asked for his help. And she persisted until he delivered the child from the demon. Now, Christ talks about persevering in Gospels quite a bit. He says that those who persevere will be saved in the end. And there's a lesson for us in that, that we need to persevere in that prayer, whether it was the woman with the judge that finally relented, or whether it was Monica who prayed as we know for 30 years for her son, who was a boy lifestyle. And that son, Augustine, became a doctor of the church. Think that 30 years of prayer before she saw what happened. So we need to persevere. So, you know, we see in the book of Jude, I mentioned it, St. Michael, the archangel, contended with the devil. And even he 
on a particular occasion, rather than defeating and rebuking the enemy directly, excuse me, directly, chose to pray for God's assistance. That's in St. Jude's uh, letter of St. Jude in chapter 9. So we see when Eve was tempted, what if she had turned to God in prayer for his guidance and protection? Wow. Maybe this would be paradise now. And that's what we need to do. That's the lesson we're trying to impart, to pray and ask for God's assistance. You know, um, one of the things I found that's very powerful when having um, spiritual attacks, especially in dreams, is to just say the word Jesus, and they go fleeing. And that's an important, that short prayer. And remember, I mentioned the other one, Mother Mary, take over. So these short prayers are very, very powerful. Don't let the shortness uh, deceive you. They are extremely powerful. And, you know, we look and certainly see, I mentioned part of our brotherhood in this war, the saints. Prayer was indispensable to them when they were fighting Satan. And that's what we need to do. When we, uh, Satan begins to speak to us, to deceive, accuse, plant doubts, we spoke about that, provoke, we need to bring in that third party into the conversation. And that's the one who can crush Satan under our feet. That, of course, is Christ. And we see that St. Bernard of Clairvaux, he told us that however great may be the temptation, if we know how to use the weapon of prayer well, we shall come off as conquerors at last. For prayer is more powerful than all the demons. Let me repeat what St. Bernard said. Prayer is more powerful than all the demons. And St. John Vianney also talked about that when he said when we're not praying, we're losing the battle. Because he had said that when the devil wants to make someone lose his soul, he starts out by inspiring him a profound distaste for prayer. And however the Christian, however good he may be, this is according to John Vianney, the devil may succeed in making him either say his prayers badly or neglect them altogether. And St. John said he's sure to have that person for himself. So that's the other thing we want to be aware of, is to try the best we can to not give in and not say prayers. Pray even when we're tired, and it's tough sometimes, and especially in our busy world, but to try to say our prayers well, too. And we can also use our prayer, intercessory, I mentioned communion saints, but also the intercessory prayer for our brothers and sisters on behalf of each other. You know, one thing when St. Paul's talking about the saints, they didn't have, you know, a canonization process of the church at that time. And you remember that the Catholic Church uh, doesn't say who's in hell and where one goes or where that one went. But when it gives the uh, sainthood in the canonization, that is where the church says this individual, St. Anthony of Padua, he, through our canonization process and our, all the intensive research done and the miracles attributed to him, he is in heaven. That we can speak of. So that's where the church says the saints are in heaven. That's what we 
today mean by saints and, and are referred to that. But when St. Paul was alive, he was, his saints, he was referring to um, not the perfect saints in heaven. He's talking to us, the Christians here on earth, who need this intercession in the battle. So that's who he's talking about. Those saints like you and I, and I don't mean canonized saints, that are trying to live a Christian life. And Paul would say as he sees us working on our faith and fighting the good fight, that's the term he would use for us. So again, St. Paul mentions that the name Jesus is above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, we know that every knee must bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, St. Paul tells us. So that is why I said just that short ejaculation of Jesus is so powerful. Even just speaking that, like I mentioned, sends the devils flying. They are terrified of Jesus who vanquished them at Calvary. He, Jesus, is the dread of hell according to St. Bernardine. So this is one of the reasons the church offers us many, many, many prayers for spiritual warfare. And, you know, in addition, many of the most common Catholic prayers can be prayed with spiritual warfare in mind. So don't, you know, certainly don't um, count out. Um, touch on this really quick right now, but that rosary, if you're not praying a rosary, please do an extremely powerful prayer that has the ability to stop nature, to control the forces of nature, rather, and stop wars. So that rosary is an extremely powerful prayer, and that's one of the common ones. And just an Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be. I mentioned the St. Michael prayer, if you don't know that, to get a copy of it. Very powerful prayer. Some of the standards saints mentioned earlier, very important. Now, I mentioned a minute ago that our church was designed and our faith designed by Christ to set up a community. Because in the end result, what is Jesus doing here? What is God the Father doing? The Trinity is a family, right? the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in essence, that's what salvation history. God is creating a big, big family, which will be with him in heaven. And that's what he wants. Well, again, but we need to have fellowship. So that in turn means that our prayer isn't just a private matter. Yes, we need to take time. Go as Christ tells us, close your door in your room and just pray silently. He did that himself. He did that himself many times. But not just to pray for others, but we need to pray with others because it's an important part of this battle. And what is the most perfect prayer that we can do? Join our fellow warriors? Well, that's the mass. And that means worship is also a weapon besides prayer. When we worship Jesus, we enter into his presence in a powerful way. Now, demons, you know, tremble in his presence, and they are reluctant to follow us there. And it's certainly when we receive the Eucharist. But we know that the evil one is busy, 
and tempts us and tries to distract us. It happens to the best of us even when we attend Mass. But when we give ourselves wholly to participating in the Mass, he doesn't have a lot of room to operate. In fact, true worship focuses our attention on God. We praise him for who he is and thank him for what he has done. And that's plenty. So when our minds and our hearts are centered on God, the enemy's provocations and enticements, they lose their power. So frequent mass attendance, then, is an effective weapon of warfare. Receiving that uh, Eucharist each time makes us more and more like Christ. We become like him each time we receive that Eucharistification that we need to go out and do battle in the world. And, you know, even in private, when we lift our hearts to God, and we, you know, we have words like that can encourage and instruct us in this search warfare. They're, they're really good. A lot of people are attracted to music, so you can use those as a form of prayer if you choose to. You know, um, we need to look at, because, uh, again, I mentioned scriptures and some, there are great spiritual warfare and lessons of us in scripture that certainly pertain to us in this world. You know, Joe, Satan was allowed to test him. And what did he do? He stole, Satan stole everything that was precious to Job, everything. He worshiped God. In response, the Lord gave and the Lord is taking. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, what a faith that is. Oh, if we could and I could have the faith of Job. Because sometimes, like me, or even with the blessings and, and the, the miracles and the graces that God gives me, sometimes it's, you know, oh my gosh, this cross, when is this going to end? You know, when is it going to be let up during rainstorm? And, you know, we tend to get a little angry. Or I do anyway sometimes. And that's not good. Because, yes, hello. Hello. Uh, we see that um, Job didn't sin. And this is so important. Because he had that comment, and what great faith it is. Also, I mentioned the Psalms, about the Psalms, and how we can uh, use those as uh, prayer in this battle. Uh, one of the Psalms is, it resounds with warfare, if we look at it. Um, Psalm 59, O oh my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress. And blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle, my mercy and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge. That's Psalm 144. So they're important. And now I want to speak of one that is really, if you have not tried this, and it's such an awesome, awesome thing of the church, outside of the Mass, 
Another great refuge for us from the devil and his traps is praying before the Blessed Sacrament. That is Eucharistic adoration. And, you know, when we, the Lord gives us great graces when we, when we visit him in the Eucharist. And there's a time for quiet time for us. Or in some Eucharistic adoration, they praise the rosary in the Divine Mercy Chaplet. So here you have, you know, periods of time where you can pray by yourself or also in community with that rosary. Remember I mentioned how powerful and the Divine Mercy Chaplet from St. Faustina, the great gift that God gave it to give us. And, you know, um, these are some of the great things that we can do. It is essential that we visit the Blessed Sacrament if we want to overcome the devil. And the more frequently, the better we get. And if we do this, the devil, according to John Bosco, will never prevail against him. So St. John Bosco is a big proponent of Eucharistic adoration. Think about that. He says, therefore, make frequent visits to Jesus. If you do that, the devil will never prevail against you. Now, we know that some of the saints, our comrades in arms, have been known to exercise demons from the possessed or banished evil spirits in apparitions through the consecrated host of the sacrament, the blessed sacrament. We have St. Bernard and St. John of the Cross, St. Francis de Sales, uh, St. Peter of Verona, and others have testified to the power of our Lord's Eucharist. You know, um, St. Clair was going to be attacked at her monastery by an army. He that Eucharist out in front of him, and they, and there was terror in the enemy and storms of for us to remember. So Eucharistic adoration. Back, back a little. We've got prayer. Uh, the uh, uh, saints that we have in our brothers and sisters uh, in prayer. We have worship, the Mass, the most powerful thing we can do. I've mentioned this before, and in the Mass, we literally change our history. Mankind's history is changed at that Mass. You know, and have a adoration have come to this one, which is my weakest one, because I love to eat. That's fasting. And Jesus, throughout sacred scripture, we find that when God's people fast, the power of the Christ, no question about it, especially when they're engaged in the spiritual warfare. And we, we see in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, that a and let the oppressed go free. And we know in the book of Daniel how the prophet once prayed with fasting and sackcloth and asked And he thought that this is important. Gabriel, Daniel, that's what we presume anyway, told Daniel that on the first day that you set your mind to understanding and humble yourself before God through fasting, your words heard. And I have come because of your words. And in fact, in response to Daniel's fasting and prayer, God had sent St. Michael, the demonic power, called the Prince of the Kingdom of Persia, so that the second angel could accomplish his mission. Now, we go to the New Testament, and we know that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, 
and preparation for his battle with Satan himself, who came to tempt him. And we know through Scripture, now we see in Mark, that the Lord's disciples failed to cast out a demon. And cannot be judged by any prayer fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, I know that uh, some of the reading now, that prayer, that fasting part is kind of missing, but that's in there. So that's a powerful prayer and fasting. And again, you know, like I said, this is a weak part uh, of mine. Um, but when I do fast, you, you know, you see the graces and you, you know how efficacious this is. That's uh, uh, my weak points. Um, and, uh, you know, if you're able to do that, oh my gosh, God bless you. You know, you're, you're courageous, heroic for the fasting part. And you know your prayers are being answered and you're seeing great results. So, if a prayer is a spiritual weapon, then fasting is going to be the whetstone that you're going to sharpen it with. That's a spiritual muscle. And like any muscle, when it's exercised, it strengthens. So that strengthens your prayer, strengthens this weapon that pierces the enemy to drive him away. Um, and one weapon I'd like to talk about uh, before we end the show is one most of us are quite familiar with. Because on Sunday Mass, we get the gospel reading, a reading from the Old Testament and a reading from the New Testament. And that, of course, is sacred scripture. How did, um, when Jesus prepared with the fasting to do his battle against Satan, he did it, as I had mentioned, with prayer and fasting. But when it came actually time for him to actually engage the enemy on the field of battle, he chose an effective weapon, and that was scripture, the word of God. Now, Satan himself, it's interesting because he tried to wield that weapon, but he fumbled with it. And our Lord parried the assault skillfully and turned the blade back upon him. Because each time Satan attacked with the temptation to doubt or disobey God, Jesus quoted scripture to throw him back. And after three failed attempts, Satan, of course, withdrew. And that's in Matthew. And we see that the Apostle Paul, now in our what do we see, Paul, with those statues? Sword. That's because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, chose Paul to write more books in the Bible than anyone else. Remember when we did our uh, shows on St. Paul, we talked about that. And he, what did he say in Ephesians? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Scripture, then, is our sword against Satan. And it is a powerful weapon. For the word of God is a living, efficient, and keener than any two-edged sword, says Paul in Hebrews. So with this reason, you know, one of our essential strategies should be to fortify our lives with Scripture, to carefully listen to the scriptural readings in Mass and meditate on them, to meditate on them, even if it's one word, but we will get a grace. And we must read Scripture on our own and daily if possible. And again, you know, internalize it and so we can apply it. And, you know, those texts that we can memorize, that we can use against spiritual temptation, as Jesus did against the devil, that's, aw that's awesome. You know, like an example, devil should uh, tempt us to uh, uh, doubt God's faithfulness. We can reply with St. Paul saying, God is trustworthy. By him I was called into fellowship with his son. 
if he should accuse us, we can say, like St. John, the accuser of our brethren has been cast down. That's revelation. If he tries to frighten us, and this is one I use, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I fear no evil, for you are with me. With your rod and staff, you comfort me. And that's Psalm 23. I, that's a favorite of mine. And if Satan tries to seduce us away from God, we can always say with our Lord, blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Okay? And if he provokes us, we say to God, with the prophet Isaiah, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Isaiah 26. So we see all these weapons we have, brothers and sisters, to fight the good fight and to continue to fight the good fight. And we'll continue this series because it's important in the time frame we live on now. We see the battle raging upon us. If we have the common sense and the open eyes of the spirit to discern what's going on, it makes sense that this battle between God and Satan, good and evil, is heating up, heating up in ways we may not even be able to imagine yet. But stand firm in the faith with Jesus Christ. Do battle. And we win because Christ is one this good fight. Happy Thanksgiving, brothers and sisters. Good night, and God bless. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.